Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Welcome back. I'm Mina Kim. We close out this week looking on a show from last week those of you who tuned into our segment on the disproportionate impact that the coronavirus is having on california's latinx residents might remember hearing me take this call from maggie hi maggie are you there yes thanks for coming on what's on your mind maggie um I'm worried if my mom and my dad get the coronavirus again. It was that moment that resonated with a lot of listeners, and especially with digital producer for KQED en Español, Adriana Morga, who ended up tweeting, quote, an 11-year-old just called KQED's forum right now on behalf of her parents who got COVID-19 and had questions but don't speak English. That was the epitome of what immigrant children have to do in order to get information to their parents. While Morka's tweet went viral, nearly 30,000 people reacted to it with likes and replies, sharing their own stories of translating for their parents or relatives. And Adriana Morga joins us now. Thanks so much for coming on, Adriana. Thank you for having me. Were you surprised at the reaction to your tweet? Yeah, it was it was very surprising. I thought that it was gonna only get three likes, and then I, yeah, my my phone was just going on, and I was like, oh my god! But um, it was I was super happy that um, people felt identified with that, and um, yeah. And so, what was your reaction to hearing Maggie's voice? I mean, I think I think I felt the similar reaction right now when I heard it again. It's just, <laughs> like, but at the moment, it just made me stop. I was on my computer working, and it just like stopped. And and actually, my partner was uh, here with me, and and he like also looked at me, and I was just like, I couldn't stop looking at at my radio in my in my room, and I was just like, you know, it was it was quite shocking. And I remember like starting tearing up, and it was just very emotional. And I think um, it was not only me. I mean, people that hear it, that have experienced that, also felt that it was it was a very special moment to hear it on live radio. You know. Yes, you wrote this beautiful line. You said, I unconsciously placed my hands on my chest and started to tear up. You wrote this in your piece titled, When a 10-Year-Old Translated for Her Parents on Live Radio, Thousands Recognized Themselves. Do you know what you were connecting with in that moment? I think it was just the experience of being in her shoes. But at the same time, I think in my particular experience, I've been in both sides. I've been people have translated for me, but I've also translated for my parents or other people. So, you know, I felt it, you know, it, it was so emotional and also 
she's so young. I mean, Maggie's uh, 10 years old. Uh, she's almost 11. And, and being placed uh, with that responsibility, while it's not the parents' fault, of course, it's a great responsibility, even more right now in a health crisis and like in the COVID-19 pandemic. So I, it really made me feel like, wow, this girl is, it's so brave for going on live radio and asking something that she really wanted to know. And you did end up creating this whole platform for people to be able to share their stories, this sort of organic, uh, unexpected path, basically medium for them to share their own experiences. And some of the things that were written to you and to KQED, uh, actually, we ended up asking some of those people who submitted some of their testimonies to, to do so um, on tape. And I, I want to play a couple of them for our listeners. I'm going to start with uh, Betty Pazmino uh, in San Francisco. And this is what she had to say about her experience being an interpreter for her parents. When I was eight years old, I became an interpreter and a translator for my parents. And this happened because my older sister married at age 18 and left our house, leaving me in charge of my parents' linguistic needs. My parents were Ecuadorian immigrants, and I was their first U.S.-born child here in San Francisco. And I didn't know then that my role as a cultural broker for my family would greatly influence my decision to become a Spanish bilingual educator. And I have been one for the last 35 years here in San Francisco Unified School District. That was Betty Pazmino in San Francisco. And I also want to play another one from Kathy Tran in Santa Ana. My Vietnamese refugee parents resettled in Santa Ana, California after fleeing from the Vietnam War. Growing up, I translated documents for my parents and helped them navigate life here in the United States. I learned how to be an advocate at an early age because I had to stand up for my parents when I saw them experience discrimination. I'm the first in my family to pursue a master's degree, and I chose to work in education because I want to work with youth who have gone through similar experiences. I want them to know that coming from an immigrant family is their superpower and to encourage them to keep advocating for their families, even when times are hard. I also want to challenge our government agencies to be more inclusive of these immigrant experiences. Having translated documents is just the bare minimum. It requires partnering with local community organizations and more inclusive outreach to reach our immigrant population. It requires creating pipelines for more immigrants to take on jobs such as social workers or policymakers to bridge that gap. I hope that this beautiful 10-year-old Maggie knows that she is not alone. Again, that was from Kathy Tran in Santa Ana. And she says, I hope that this beautiful 10-year-old Maggie knows that she is not alone. Adriana Morga, after this, you actually reached out to Maggie's mom from the number that Maggie left. Can you tell us what you found out about Maggie's story? Yeah, um, I talked to the mom. Uh, her name is Rosibel Luasquez Alvarado. Um, she told me that she uh, got COVID in um in her work at McDonald's and actually her and her husband and their uh, four children, four children, I'm sorry, uh, included Maggie, uh, got COVID, uh, but it was, it affected her mostly. Uh, and and she, she had to quarantine for once and she was at home and then she actually had to quarantine another, another one. So she did it twice. And, and right now she's, 
in a battle with her employer, McDonald's, because they don't want to uh, pay her for that second quarantine mm. that she was um, staying at home and she couldn't work, uh, but she, you know, needs the money. So she's working with a workers union and their lawyers to, to, um, be able to solve this because it, it should be their right. And I mean, we contacted McDonald's from Northern California and they told us that they were sure that they, everyone should be uh, paid for their time, but, um, yeah, it, it didn't happen for her, and and, and yeah, so she told me, but it, it, she did tell me that um, Maggie was really um, interested in like asking the question and getting that information to her and and her family because uh, by the by the time that the call happened, uh, Rosibel was already good and she had tested negative twice, so she was thinking of going back to work. So of course, when you're young, it's like, oh my God, what's gonna happen after, you know, everything went on. So Maggie was specifically like concerned about, are my parents gonna be um, sick again? And, and it's a very valid, you know, question and, and something that worries a lot of people. And it also raised a lot of concerns just about how these kinds of situations are very hard on children. Just the pandemic alone is incredibly stressful, but then also playing the role of basically translating or trying to get information about it when, you know, your family uh, speaks another language, speaks English. And, and we did hear from a lot of listeners, you heard from a lot of listeners about concerns about kids being exposed to these kinds of things. Maru writes, I remember many times I translated for my parents things that children should not be aware of or exposed to. For instance, my mother became pregnant shortly after our arrival from Mexico and had to go to her medical appointments and translate. One time I had to translate the risk of her pregnancy and the possibility that her baby in the womb might have down syndrome. I'm now in my late 40s and I still translate for my parents. They can speak their way in English in day-to-day -day situations, but the translating to fully understand is never happening. And this other listener writes, growing up, I often had to translate for my mother at the bank, the grocery store, and at school. One summer day when I was nine, I was home alone with my mom. That's why when the phone rang and it was her boss, she asked me to translate for her. I introduced myself to the man on the other end of the phone and he brusquely and without preamble said, tell your mom I'm laying her off so she doesn't have to come to work on Monday. I didn't know what that meant, so I asked him if she could go on Tuesday. <laughs> and then this listener writes, my experience translating for family is why I decided to become a certified medical interpreter. Nothing is more rewarding in my job than helping my community. I've been in their shoes and always try to do my best. I treat everyone like I would have wanted my parents to be treated with respect. If you want to share your stories about translating, give us a call 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or if you have any questions for Adriana Morga about her piece and her viral tweet in response to KQED's forum segment last week about the Latinx community. You can do so by calling 866-733-6786, getting in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum, or emailing your questions to forum at kqed.org. I'm struck, Adriana, by the number of responses that came to you and to KQED where their experience as translators led or influenced their career path. Did that happen for you? Um, it happened, yeah, a bit. I feel... I mean, uh, as I said in the piece, I was born and raised in Tijuana, which is in the border um, with San Diego. 
So I was very influenced by that. And, and I remember that I wanted to be a journalist, but I didn't specifically had found what I wanted to do. Um, but when I moved to San Francisco um, in when I was uh, 18, I was like, you know, this is, I started to live the, the immigrant experience even more and, ex and leave it from a different perspective that I had before. And, and, and it was like very clear to me. I think it was very obvious that I really wanted to focus on um, doing journalism in the Latino community and doing the work for uh, like to highlight stories of, of, of people that, that sometimes don't get um, shared, you know? So yeah, it, it did happen in a bit and, and, and it, it did inspire me to, to do work in Spanish and in English and, and about the, the different communities that, that we have. Well, let me read a few more comments. Sally writes, as a young girl, I often translated for Haitian relatives who were newly arrived in the U.S. I would take them on rounds to all the usual places one needs to go in order to get established in a new land, such as the Social Security Administration. It taught me a sort of resourcefulness and built my resilience. But it was also challenging, a burden for someone so young. Under normal circumstances, the life of an immigrant child is not carefree and often complicated by real economic hardship. With COVID, their work is doubly hard. Immigrant children and families deserve better. On a lighter note, this listener writes, one of my most memorable experiences was how my mother loved the show Friends, but did not understand a lot of the jokes. So <laughs> I would translate it for her. And Alicia writes, I grew up with immigrant parents and, and five siblings. My older sister and I would fill out all school forms sent home. We even wrote our own school sick excuse notes. My mom would write her name so we would have her sign whatever the school required. For years, I thought this was perfectly normal. Um, I'm struck by the comments that talk about the burden that this can put on children. And, you know, I, I think about it. As a child, that's how I saw it. I, I thought it was a lot. I didn't always appreciate how important it was or understand it. Sometimes you would find yourself in embarrassing or frustrating situations, and it was sort of a chore to have to play that role. Did you experience sort of when that kind of feeling around it at all? And if so, how it, it sort of transformed to being seen as something that was actually a strength? Like, for example, the, the listener who said that, they realized that this was something that built their resilience. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember being uh, in high school and, and I wanted to transfer to a different high school when I first moved into the States and, and I wanted to do it. And, but my mom was with me, but she, she doesn't speak English. So I had to kind of defend myself in a bit. And, and I remember being so frustrated because I had a counselor that told me that I was trying to explain to him that I wanted to take AP classes, uh, but he didn't know, I didn't know the word AP. I like, well, I did, I know it, but I, it didn't come to my mind. And I remember him kind of being quite rudely and, and, and took me with a person that, um, that spoke English and Spanish as well. And, and he made her translate. And I remember that moment. I remember after that, I cried and I was so mad because I felt like he was treating me like I was not smart enough to like talk. But at the same time, later, I was like, you know what? This is going to make me stronger and he's going to make me um, help other people to not feel like that um, and, to, and to really push for bilingual information and bilingual journalism and that's one of the reasons and many others that 
why I do what I do and want to do more bilingual journalism and always talk about it and and always uh, highlight the importance of the government and the news media to really know their audience and 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 adapt to how communities are are growing more and they need accessible timely information that reach reaches to them um, because they people are really getting affected by that yeah <laughs> uh, I mean you guys talked on the on the other um, program about how Latino communities are being heavily impacted by this and I and I really believe that one of them those reasons is because there's not as much information out there for the communities in a way that it's accessible for them to understand. Yes, I mean, uh, that is definitely a sentiment that was that was strongly shared in the responses that you got. I have to say one of the, the ones that touched me the most was actually from our own producer on forum, Blanca Torres, who said, sometimes children of immigrants feel torn between two cultures, but really we are a bridge. And she also wrote kudos to you, Adriana Morga, on your excellent piece following up on the KQED forum segment. And I should also mention that our producer uh, followed up with Dr. Chris Kirsten Bibbins Domingo, um, who reached out to Maggie to assure her and her mom about the probability that they'd get COVID again was extremely low. But Adriana Morgan, I just want to thank you for creating an, an opportunity for what was clearly a hunger to share these types of experiences. Of course, no, thank you. Um, thank you for having me and thank you for responding to Maggie. That was, that was really awesome. Adriana Morga, digital producer for KQED and Español. Thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments. This segment was produced by Ariana Preo with help from Carly Severn. Forum is also produced by Judy Campbell, Blanca Torres, Tina Lauerberg, and Susan Britton. Our engineer is Danny Bringer. Our intern is Jameson Weiss. Our senior editor is Dan Zoll. I'm Mina Kim. Have a great weekend. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts.